try that again. Good morning, church. Awesome. It is a great day to be in the house of God. I love what God is doing here at GT North. I am so pumped for um, all of the stories I hear, the testimonies I hear um, for how God is moving here. I've, I've known the Anchitans for a long time. Yeah, a very long time, probably since their kids were born, I think. And it's exciting to see both Brandon and Candace getting baptized today. What a great day. I know many family and friends are here to celebrate with those who were baptized today. I see a lot of familiar faces here. It's so good to be with you. I have not been able to be out here uh, on a Sunday morning since July 10th, since we opened a grand opening, right? It's been about four months since we've been open here at GT North, and um, so I haven't had the opportunity to be out here with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is a, um, a special day. I'm excited for uh, the opportunity to share my heart. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor at GT Church. Uh, we are one church in two locations, and uh, I serve at West Lawn primarily, but I, I have the privilege of leading the church in general and uh, working with this amazing team here. You guys have a great team with Eric and Marlene and, and Dan and Brandon and Wendy and Scotty, just a great team here, and I'm excited all, for all that God is doing here. This is not my normal voice. Um, I'm battling a little thing in my throat today. I woke up with it on Friday, but I, so I'm going to limit my interactions. That's why I wasn't out in the atrium. Normally I'd be with everybody just kind of connecting and shaking hands, but I'm trying to limit how much I interact with people close in close range uh, because I've got a little thing here. But um, Eric's in the bullpen, so if my voice fails, Eric's going to step up to the plate in the spirit of World Series season. Anybody Phillies fans here? Come on. Uh, but I want to share uh, today a word uh, that I think is for the whole church. Uh, like I said, we're one church in two locations, so Dan Sarna is preaching a similar message on a similar topic uh, at West Lawn. No doubt it will come out differently because we're different people, but it's a, it's a word that I think is, is relevant for uh, the season we live in. Uh, it's going to feel like it's uh, very isolated to what this weekend is with Halloween and then elections coming up, but we're really, the word that I want to share with us today, in my heart, applies to year-round with how we uh, handle as the people of God, how do we handle areas of dispute? Uh, the Bible calls them matters of conscience. Uh, you and I might think of them as gray areas. You know, how many are familiar with gray areas, right? Those gray areas in our lives. Uh, we all want to be law-abiding citizens. However, uh, when it comes to the speed limit, uh, we kind of look on that as a gray area, right? We, we then turn to our conscience to tell us if we should ab abide by the speed limit or not. Uh, maybe you, in your workplace, you, um, you get a 30-minute break, uh, and that's the rule. However, everybody takes 40 or 45 minutes, so you then turn back to your conscience to determine if you feel that you should be limited to 30 minutes or to 45 like everybody else does. Uh, you think about science today. Uh, scientists are dabbling in the world of artificial intelligence, AI. And maybe you're not even familiar with that phrase, but uh, you might feel like, man, that's kind of dangerous. Like, is it a matter of, it's disputable, right? Should we even be tinkering with those kinds of things in humanity and for humanity's sake? Uh, you think about murder. You know, we would certainly in this room agree that murder is wrong. But what about if somebody breaks into my house? What about if it's out of self-defense? Is that, does that then revert to my conscience? 
how do I deal with those issues that maybe aren't explicitly clear in the Bible? And Halloween weekend certainly gives us an opportunity to address that kind of topic. Um, so I will give a couple of perspectives on that. But primarily, I want to give a word today that I think is for all of us, not just North, not just West Lawn, but the church in general. I think all of us should be thinking about how do we act when we don't agree? How do you and I act with each other? And how do we reflect Christ to the world when we don't agree on topics that fall outside of the clear teaching of Scripture? Does that make sense? Not if you're with me so far, right? So there are, there are matters, like I just shared a few, that fall outside of the clear, explicit teaching of the Scripture, and I want to talk about that today. Um, tomorrow is October 31st, as we all know. Uh, some of you might know that day because it is the day in 1517 when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg University and objecting to some of the practices of the, the Orthodox Catholic Church. Uh, some of you, though, think of tomorrow primarily as Halloween, right? I want to share with you that there are multiple perspectives on Halloween. And again, this is not the point of the message. Uh, the point is we're going to look at what Paul says to us in Romans 14 about how you and I should act and revere one another and respect each other when we have disputable matters or matters of conscience. There is one perspective of Halloween that holds that Halloween has occultic origins. Uh, there's, there are many that believe that Halloween began in the Celtic uh, culture overseas, uh, that this was a night where the Druid priests would build bonfires. Uh, they were celebrating the end of harvest season, the end of daylight, and now celebrating the onset of darkness of a new season. And they would begin sacrificing their crops and their animals to their gods. How many have ever heard that perspective about Halloween? Okay. Um, and so there, there's a couple other things that are believed about that tradition. Uh, it's also viewed that this was a very spiritual time uh, in their culture. Again, this is, we're talking about the origins of Halloween for some. Uh, they, they felt like this was a time of divination where they would do fortune telling and help women determine if they were gonna get married the next year. They also believed, and again, in the Celtic tradition, that the line between the physical and the spiritual was thin on this day. On October 31st, for whatever reason, they believed that the line between the spiritual dimension and the physical dimension became very thin, and spirits would enter the physical realm. And so it's thought that the tradition of jack-o'-lanterns uh, began then because they would carve out these pumpkins and put faces on them to scare away evil spirits from their homes. Uh, it's also thought by some that this was uh, the tradition of getting dressed as goblins and ghouls and ghosts began in that culture because um, people were dressing in that way to kind of blend in with the ghouls and goblins that would roam the earth and so not be spotted as a human being. This is how some view Halloween. 
and the, it was even believed that some of your dead family members would come back from the dead that night, and they would even set places at the table for them to, to come and occupy on that evening. And so for many, Halloween has very occultic origins, and they avoid it at all costs. How many have ever heard that view before, right? Come on, be honest. And again, I just, I want this to be and to feel very conversational today. I don't want it to feel antagonistic or um, divisive. In fact, quite the contrary. I want us as the body to look at these days as times when we unite. And in spite of differing perspectives, we come together and unite. So that's one perspective on Halloween. I've studied it. I've read it. I've come to my own conclusions. Um, there's another perspective as well, though. Um, in fact, it traces back to 609 AD when Pope Boniface IV established a Catholic feast called All Martyrs Day. Uh, how many have heard of All Saints Day? Raise your hand. So more of you know of the All Saints Day tradition than you do of the Celtic feast tradition. In honor of early Roman martyrs, the feast was later expanded by Pope Gregory to include All Saints and is still practiced today on November 1st as All Saints Day. So November 1st is the actual holiday. It's called All Saints Day. Some call it All Hallows Day, which means if November 1st is Hallows Day, October 31st then becomes Hallows Eve. And so some hold that the tradition of Halloween is actually a linguistic shift that happened from Hallows Eve to Halloween. Are you with me so far? Not if you're with me, right? Two perspectives, right? Which one is correct? Do we look at what's happening today? Do we look at the origins of a thing and determine whether it's good or bad? Or can we redeem culture? Shouldn't the church have the opportunity to redeem things that are of darkness and, and win them over to the light? Which is correct. The answer is yes. Do you get it? Like, I don't know. And this is what Paul addresses in Romans 14. And I want to spend our time, certainly, and I'll, I'll make a comment just personally. Um, forgive me as I lubricate my vocal cords today, but I will make a personal comment. Um, and the message will vet out kind of how we should address disputable matters. But I, I have led my family, like, you know what? I don't like the idea of how it feels today. With, it's a it feels like a celebration of darkness in so many ways. And so we have held a view about that, but it's not for us to impose our view on somebody else. Um, and some of you in this room maybe haven't felt that same conviction, and so you've observed the, the day in a different way. That, that is, please hear me, that is not the point of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how do we act in light of these disputable matters. Say amen if you're with me. That wasn't everybody. Let's try it again. Say amen if you're with me. Amen. All right, very good. Um, there's another disputable matter. In nine days, this country will cast a vote. In nine days, Tuesday of next week, we will have our midterm elections. In churches all across this country, there are Christians who are Republicans. And in churches all across this country, there are Christians who are Democrats. And there are Christians all over this country who avoid both parties 
and vote third party or green party or some other way, right? What are we to make of that? How should we, as the body of Christ, respond to one another and to the world when it comes to disputable matters? I will make one comment again personally about the election. I would encourage you, I think it's our responsibility as believers, to use our voice and to vote. Can somebody say amen to that? You should be registered to vote and you should vote. And additionally, if you are someone who follows Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you and I have a responsibility to vote according to biblical values, right? We should be voting for candidates who most closely align with a biblical ethic and biblical truths and biblical values. If you're not sure how to do that, uh, we do have voter guides available. You can stop at the um, hub on the way out and grab one of those green voter guides and take it with you and do a little bit of your own study so that you know how to cast your vote next Tuesday to support candidates that align more closely with biblical values. You may never have a candidate that believes like we do about the Bible, but you can look for candidates who more closely align with our, our biblical ethic. Does it make sense, church? Beyond these, there are other issues about what we drink, what we eat, what we say, what we wear, what we watch on TV, what kind of entertainments and music and art and theater, what kind of movies, and even what kind of Netflix series we watch. These are all lumped in together in the category of matters of conscience or disputable matters things that are outside of the explicitly clear teaching of the Word of God. So I want to take the next 20 minutes and look into what Paul said about this. Now, Paul didn't have this kind of issue to address. He didn't address Halloween. He didn't address politics. He wasn't talking about Netflix and movies and the like because those things weren't around when Paul was an apostle. But Paul did address some matters that were creating division in the church. If you can imagine one part of the church having a certain view and being, having a strong opinion about that view, and another half of the church having an alternate view and feeling very strongly about that. And there were some matters that were, that were emerging in the early church in the first century that were disputable matters that Paul's addressing. This one in particular has to do with whether or not a Christian could eat meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. I say, well, that's kind of weird. Why is that even a thing? Well, that was a thing 2,000 years ago. There were some Christians, so let's just say uh, on this side of the room, there were those that believed that if there was an animal that was sacrificed to a false god, then the meat from that animal shouldn't have been eaten because that meat was dedicated to a false god. And they felt very strongly about that view. On the other side of the room on the conversation was a group of people who said, you know what? That idol really is nothing because there are no other gods but God alone. And those are all false gods. So I don't care where that meat came from. All things are clean to me. And so I don't feel any conviction about eating that meat. And so th that group of believers would eat anything sold in the meat market. And then you had a dispute. You had believers in a church that held different views about a topic. Can you relate to that, right? This is what happens in the church. And so Paul addresses this very topic on disputable matters. In verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, Except the one whose faith is weak 
without quarreling. Everybody say that word, those words with me, without quarreling. Paul says to accept one another without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Again, not because they thought it was healthier, but because they didn't want to eat meat that might have been sacrificed to a false god. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them all. So whether they ate meat or they didn't eat meat, Paul said God has accepted all of them, even though they had different opinions about the same topic. How is that possible? Well, it's outside of clear teaching. Verse four, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person, this is, again, relates very much to Halloween now. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of you, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does also to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So Paul basically says, if you eat meat and you do it unto the Lord, God be praised. If you don't eat meat and do it unto God, God be praised. He basically says, they're both right. How can that be? Do you see the challenge? He said they're both good. Like, let, if, if you're abstaining, do that unto God and stay there and be convinced about that in your conscience. And if you eat the meat, do that unto the Lord and be convinced of your conviction. Yet they're opposite convictions. Paul tells us, what do we do in light of that? What should I do when other believers don't have my convictions? He gives us the instruction. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? That's a great spot for a holy pause, right? Like, why do you judge your brother? He said, he basically gave them permission to stay where they were. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's not my job to give an account for Eric or anybody else, else in this room. I will stand before God and give an account for Scott. You will stand before God someday and give an account for you. Each of us should concern ourselves with our own convictions when it comes to disputable matters that are outside of the clear teaching of the Bible. Therefore, so Paul then looks back, he, he gives us a summary statement of this passage. Whenever you see the word therefore or because of, 
you should understand that he's summarizing or giving a concluding statement to the argument that he just gave. So Paul is giving a concluding argument. He said this, therefore, let us stop passing judgments on one another. Second time he said, don't judge one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And then I'm gonna skip over to verse 19. You can read 14 through 18 on your own time. He says, let us therefore make every effort, make every effort to do what it leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for food. Now, if I could bring that fast forward 2,000 years, that word might look like this. Do not destroy the work of God over your view of Halloween. Do not destroy the work of God over your view of politics, over who you vote for, over how you'll handle disputable matters. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That's the conclusion that Paul gives. So I want to give to you what I think right out of this passage, five guiding principles. I'm going to run through these in pretty quick succession, but five guiding principles that help you and I to know how to act and how to reflect Jesus when we don't agree with each other. Are you with me so far? Say amen. Okay, very good. So what matters when it comes to disputable matters? Number one, we are called to love one another regardless of differing convictions. These are personal convictions and we are called to love one another regardless of different convictions. Jesus said this in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by your love for one another, by how we treat each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is basically saying, the way that the world knows me is by how you will love each other. We are called to love one another in spite of differing convictions. We must respect each other and differing views in areas where God's word is not explicitly clear. Somebody say amen. We must learn how to respect each other when we have different views where God's word isn't clear. Do not, you, we decide to not allow matters of conscience to create division in the body of Christ. And I would say to you today, I believe that the bride of Christ, again, that's not north, that's not west lawn, that's the church around the world. The bride of Christ deserves better. The church of Jesus Christ deserves better than for believers to quarrel, quarrel over disputable matters. Are you with me, church? We must not let disputable matters put a black eye on the bride of Christ. We have got to learn how to love one another and respect each other when we don't agree on matters of conscience. Many give St. Augustine credit for having said this. You might recognize this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's so good, right? Like, when it comes to essential issues, we are unified. Things that are clear in this book 
We're unified. This is the source of truth. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. How do I, so how do I make room for the Holy Spirit to inform my conscience? Maybe there is still room for growth in how your conscience is responding to the word of God in the world around you. How do I make room for the spirit of God to still do a work in me and to inform my conscience? I wanna give you a couple quick filtering questions that might help you and me make room for the Holy Spirit to shape my conscience. Here are some questions to ask of myself. Number one, again, when it comes to matters of disputes or gray areas in life, think of all the gray areas you have in your life. Here are some questions. Is it helpful or harmful? Is this gonna be helpful to me or harmful to my spiritual life? Is it freeing or is it enslaving? Think about substance abuse. Is it giving me freedom or is it going to lead to enslavement? Does it glorify God? Is my liberty a stumbling block for someone else? When you think about the freedoms that we have in Christ, is my exercising my freedom going to be a stumbling block for somebody else? If it is, then maybe I should hold back on that freedom. That's what Paul says. Does it offend and violate my conscience? If you are partaking in a behavior that violates your conscience, you should stop that behavior, even if another believer seems to be free in that behavior. Does it make sense? Not if you're with me, right? Am I considering a weaker brother before I enjoy my own freedoms? Am I taking into account those around me before I take liberty? And the last one is this, does it make me more like Jesus? Does this gray area, does the exercise of my freedom make me more or less like the Son of God? That should be clarifying, and those questions can help shape our conscience in matters of dispute. So, number one, again, love one another regardless of differing convictions. Number two, get in the habit of not judging others. And I underscore that. I think it was, yeah, it's bold, it's italic, it's in all caps. I, I, I think this is important because and maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I believe that human beings have a natural tendency to judge one another. I see a lot of people nodding, right? We just have a natural bent towards being critical of other people and passing judgment on others around us. Can you raise your hand if you agree with that? You're not raising your hand because you do it, but you probably do. I know I have a tendency to do that. I think each one of us has a natural tendency to be judgmental. And we're judging others generally through our own filters and our own grids of what we think is right and wrong. And the second guideline for us today is to be in the habit of not judging others. Paul was speaking in his culture to a very real problem. There was a lot of judgment in the house of God. People who didn't eat meat were judging those who did eat meat. And it was creating division. It was creating controversy. It was creating a problem in the body of Christ. And Paul said these words in verse 10 again. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Great place again for that holy pause. Why are you judging your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? 
for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Whether it's about food, about drink, about Halloween, about politics, about a Netflix series. Again, you need to make room for your conscience to be affected by the Holy Spirit. If you are taking in content that, that offends God, then it ought to offend you. Can somebody agree with me, right? Like, but when it comes to matters of conscience, disputable matters, why are we judging each other? Why are we backbiting other people that you will stand next to in heaven worshiping God for all of eternity? We must learn how to love one another and get out of the habit of judging each other when we don't agree on matters of conscience. Number three, we need to make up our mind and live confidently unto the Lord. Again, I'm just giving you what Paul said. Make up our minds and then live with confidence on that conviction unto God. Live my life unto the Lord. This is what, I'm gonna read this again. We read it before, but I wanna read it twice. Verse five, Paul said, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Who's right? Who's wrong? Neither. Paul says, one person considers one day more sacred, the other person, they're all the same. He doesn't give a judgment. Paul doesn't say, who's right? Isn't that interesting? Paul could have very well given his opinion, but he didn't. Instead, he says, each of them should be fully convinced or persuaded in their own mind. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we die, we, we belong to the Lord. Paul could have very easily told them who was right. In fact, some of us probably wish he had, right? Like, why didn't Paul give his opinion? Paul was the leader of the church. He was the apostle that God had anointed to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Why didn't Paul take a side? Why didn't he tell them? Well, no, you're free to eat meat. Paul said each of them should do what they are fully persuaded is right for them. Why? Because we belong to God. Right? Number three. Number four. On matters of conscience, we are accountable to God, not the judgment of others. On matters of conscience, you and I are accountable to God, not to one another. We're accountable to each other with regard to biblical truth, okay? So please hear me. I'm not trying to say you know, the whole brother's keeper thing, we should encourage each other to live according to God's word. We have a responsibility to one another to exhort each other to follow what's clear in here. Are you with me? Say amen. But when it's not clear in here, Paul says on matters of conscience, we're accountable to God, not the judgment of one another. And I gotta be honest, this is hard sometimes, especially as a, a pastor. I hear lots of people's voices in my head. Do you hear other people's voices in your head? Come on, be honest, right? I hear other people's voices in my head sometimes. I'm hearing them right now. You know, I, because I'm getting feedback about the message. I'm getting feedback from West Lawn about the message. Dan Sarna's preaching the same topic at West Lawn, but he, no doubt he's doing it based on how he's wired, and I'm preaching based on how I'm wired. And I'm hearing voices in my head right now as we speak. I'm not crazy. I'm not schizo. 
but we hear voices, right? When it comes to disputable matters, you hear other people's opinions in your head. So do I. Paul said, we're not accountable to their judgment of us. We're accountable and we'll be standing before God one day, not before them in judgment. This is what Paul said. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I'm not gonna stand before God and give an account for any one of you. And you're not gonna stand before God and give an account for me. Paul said each of us will stand before God and give an account of ourselves. This is what's most important. How do we act when, when we don't agree? Matters of conscience, disputable matters. We love one another regardless of conviction. We get in the habit of not judging others. We make up our mind and live confidently unto God. And we, we are accountable to him, not to the others. So there's one more thing, one final exhortation that I want to give to us today as the church of Jesus Christ. This is the last thing I'm saying, but I believe it's of primary importance. So what is most important for the church of Jesus Christ when it comes to disputable matters? I believe this is most important. We are called as the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel of Christ and show the world God's love. Above all things and all that we do and how we live our lives and love one another, you and I are called to proclaim the gospel and show the world outside what God's love looks like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said this. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Again, Paul could have said a lot of things. He could have given a lot of opinions about a lot of different topics. He said, this is of first importance. Of all the things that Paul gives in a letter, this is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Of primary importance to the church of Jesus Christ is that you and I stay focused on the, the, the cause of the church, which is to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and show the world what God's love actually looks like. You know that there are lots of counterfeit loves in the world, right? Lots of people define love in many different ways. Many different ways people define love. But the one who gets to define what love is is the author of love, and sel- of him, of love himself. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. God's nature is the very essence of love. He's the author of love, and he ought to get to define what love is. And the best way for the world to know what true love looks like is for them to see us loving one another even when we don't agree. And they ought to be able to see us reflecting the love of Jesus to a a world around us. And here's the last thing. And then I'm going to pray for us as the body of Christ. You know this, and so I'm telling you something you know already. There is no other organization or institution or company on the planet, on this planet today, 
that has the responsibility to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the church doesn't do it, who else will? There's no company out there. There's no institution. It is the job of the church. The people of God are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to show the world what his love looks like. If we won't do that, who will? We have got to learn how to keep the main thing the main thing. And when we don't agree, we can agree to disagree at times. Again, when it comes to things that fall outside of the boundaries of what's already clearly revealed in this book, and we respect each other for our views, we will love one another and reflect the love of Christ to the world around us. Can somebody say amen to that? I want to pray for us today, and then Eric's going to come, and um, he's going to give a couple of announcements. We're going to receive an offering uh, after that too, but I want to pray for us. I want to pray for the unity of the church. And I've had lots of people give me their opinion on Halloween, on politics, on who's in office right now, on who was in office three years ago, like, if you know what I mean, right? (laughs) We've had our opinions. And it's okay, like, you're entitled to your opinion. Make sure that your, your beliefs come from here. Make sure that your conscience is informed by what's here. Make sure that your conscience is shaped by the Holy Spirit. But when you have a different conviction about something, let's respect each other and agree that the church of God cannot become divided over food. That's what Paul said, right? He said we must not allow division over food. Now again, I'm using that the way Paul said it because that's what was happening in his culture. But we cannot let matters of conscience create division in the body of Christ. We must stay united on the main thing of the church. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing day. Thank you, God, that we can celebrate baptism today, celebrating new life in Jesus Christ. We believe in this church that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who died on a cross as a payment for our sin and who rose from the grave and came back to life and now lives and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us right now. I thank you, God, for these three young people that went into the waters of baptism today to declare to the world that they belong to Jesus. And in this room, God, we belong to you. We live and die unto the Lord. Regardless of my convictions and regardless of our convictions, I pray, God, for the unity of the church. I pray, God, that the church of Jesus Christ can remain united when we're surrounded by a divided world. God, I pray that you would inspire us to love one another, inspire us to get out of the habit of judging each other, to live according to our own convictions, and to make room for the Spirit of God to shape and to inform our convictions. And let us proclaim the gospel of Jesus and show the world God's love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. So glad to be here.